Good afternoon. Welcome to a special public affairs program. This is Alicia Bales. After 12 years as Mendocino County's chief executive officer and the first woman to ever serve in that role, Carmel Angelo is retiring on March 20th. This week, I sat down with her in the KZYX studio to look back at her years at the helm of Mendocino County's executive office, the challenges she's faced during her time as CEO, and what she anticipates for local government in Mendocino County after she leaves. This is Alicia Bales in conversation with retiring Mendocino County CEO, Carmel Angelo. So let's talk about your background and how you came to work in public service. What drew you to work in local government? What was your background and and how did you get started? So I am uh, a nurse by profession and I was working as a nurse and working actually in labor and delivery and working with uh, pregnant women who were coming into delivery with drugs in their system which today is perinatal addiction. But at that time, we didn't even have a name for it. We just had pregnant women with drugs on board. And I was doing this and really enjoyed working in labor and delivery and taking care of high-risk women and was doing it for quite some time when I was approached by San Diego County asking if if I would be interested in working in the perinatal care network because they were looking for... Uh, nurses to work uh, that had an understanding, you know, of working with this high-risk population, which I did. And that was my entrance into public service and into county government. And from so there, it just blossomed. you were working as a nurse in a hospital? I was working as a labor and delivery nurse in a hospital uh, at the time that perinatal addiction actually became a specialty. And so I then went to San Diego County and was working in their perinatal care services uh, because I had experience. I had, you know, like boots on the ground experience. And then from there, I just worked my way through the San Diego system and then obviously up here to Mendocino County. Okay, so you transferred directly from San Diego. I was working in San Diego County. I was the uh, assistant deputy director in public health. And I was also working as the uh, interim director for emergency medical services. And the position for health and human services director uh, was advertised. And I thought, Mendocino County, beautiful place. You know, my kids were grown. They were in college. There was no reason if I wanted to move why I couldn't. So I went ahead, interviewed, and accepted the position. So I went from San Diego County Public Health to Mendocino County Health and Human Services Director. Uh-huh. Okay. What made you think that you wanted to move to Mendocino County? I actually did uh, research on Mendocino County before I accepted the job. There are times that I say I didn't research enough. <laughs> yeah, is it possible to research enough? Is anyone even talking about Mendocino <laughs> County out of Mendocino County? <laughs> no, not at that time. You know, 2007, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not not really. But um, so I did. And, and honestly, in, in the research I did, what I found was the rates of uh, child abuse and neglect were very high. The rates of alcohol and, and drug Uh, problems and crime, everything was really high. And so when I accepted the position, I really thought 
that one, I could make a difference because I came from a county. I had been in a health and human services agency for 10 years from the ground floor up. And so I really wanted to come and help develop the agency uh, into a really good model. And also, there, there were so many problems that existed in the county, I just felt like, you know, we, we absolutely could make improvements. So I did. I came, that was in June of 2007, um, and by uh, September of 2009, I was asked to move into the assistant CEO position. And of course I did, and then five months later became the CEO. So it was quite a jump. I, I will say this, that I never had any intention of getting into general administration. My goal always was health and human services. But once I got here and the opportunity arose, I really felt like, I mean, honestly, I really felt like I could serve at a higher level, and so I did. Was there anything in your job from uh, from the nursing on through public health and into health and human services that prepared you for the more general administrative role? I, you know, I believe that uh, there is a nursing process that you're trained on, just like there is a, an analytical process, you know, whether you're in engineering or whatever. And I really believe that that process of, you know, analyzing and really looking at, at uh, what's happening and coming up with what the, you know, what the pros and cons, the risks, I think that that's a process that can take you anywhere. Uh-huh. And if you have any nurses in your family or any nurses that are close friends, it, there there's almost nothing that nurses don't have to do in their positions. And I worked in almost every area of nursing, in acute care nursing, and then went to community health and then public health. And so, no, I think that I was prepared just by the general work that I did. And honestly, having a bit of an analytical mind that no matter what the problem is, we're going to work through it and we're going to fix it. Well, and a a lot of people who live here know that we have a county government, but they have no idea how it works or who's involved in it or or what it does. And so I wonder if you can just explain to listeners who might not be in the know how the cover how our county government is structured and and how the CEO fits in. Sure. That's a really good question, Alicia, because I believe that the public really doesn't have an understanding of what a chief executive officer is or a chief administrative officer. And honestly, I would say that that is on us. That is on government. Whenever there's a group out there that doesn't have an understanding of what's happening, that's on us when it comes to government. So the way that it works, and I say this anytime I'm interviewed, is that whether you're a chief administrative officer or you're a chief executive officer, In a county system, you report to the legislative body, which is the five supervisors. Mm -hmm. And you are the highest appointed official. So basically what that means is that the legislative body, which is the board of supervisors, their job is to create policy. And they create policy that steers the county into service, right, for our 90,000 people. So the board, they, they develop policy and the chief executive officer has the job of implementing that policy. Now, that doesn't mean that I implement personally every policy that's developed, but I work with the departments and I work with the other elected officials to help implement the board's policy. The difference between a county 
and a city, which again, I don't think people, um, unless you're really paying attention or you're in one of those systems, you don't understand. Within a city, you have a city manager who reports to the city council and everybody in the city reports up through that city manager, whether you're the chief police, the fire chief, whoever you are. In a county system, we are extremely disjointed. And this is just the way county government it is. It doesn't matter if it's this county or another county. So you have a CEO or a CAO who reports to the board. You have departments that may report to the CEO, possibly not. And then you have other departments that by statute report to the board. And then you have five elected officials, five different departments that report to the public like the board does. So you have an extremely disjointed system that you have to attempt every day to try to bring together in the best interest of the public. Okay, so if we can sort of explain how many departments are there? There, Well, if you include all of the departments that are under the electeds as well, we have 15 departments. Okay, and some of them report to the CEO. Right. Like, I'll give you an example. Right now, today, and this could change because the board is in the process of evaluating CEO versus CAO, that I have planning and building and human resources, general services. Um, who else do I have? I have the Department of Transportation. And the board has the Ag Commissioner. Uh, they have air quality. Um, they have um, the library and the museum. Who else do they have? They have a couple others. And then you have your five elected, which is the treasurer, the auditor, the DA, the assessor, and the sheriff. And the those guys, the electeds, they don't report to anyone. They, they report to the people. They do not right. report to anyone within the county system. So if you have a project that uh, is going to run across, say, probation. And the chief probation officer actually reports to the courts. So if you have a project, you have the chief probation officer who reports to the courts, the sheriff who reports to the public, the district attorney, you have the public defender who reports to the board of supervisors, you pull all of them together to work on a project, you have a lot of people involved. And the question is, who, who leads, really? You know, is it the courts? Is it the board? Is it the sheriff? Um, and so you really have to work together and, and come up with what the focus is and stay there. Right. And um, why is it like this? Well, I'm, I think there are many reasons. It's in statute, uh -huh. and I believe that um, it's in statute. These are constitutional officers, and that's just the way it is. You know, I think that uh, having a sheriff who's elected by the people is really smart, uh, you don't have a sheriff that's just appointed by a group. You have the people who elect a sheriff. Same thing with the district attorney. Uh, it's just the way government works. Um, certainly in our state, it's the way it works. How do you approach leadership in, in this kind of an environment? What is What works and what doesn't work in terms of leadership? And what are the demands as a leader? Well, I think the first thing is you have to realize how much control you have or don't have. And that's the first thing. And, you know, for me, I always look for that common ground. Um, if, if I'm working with uh, the auditor on a project, whether it's uh, a prior auditor or whether it's Shamise, 
you know, what is the common ground? What is it that we're looking for that, that we need to do? And then you just work toward that project, you know, and that, and that you, to get to the finish line. Um, it's not always that easy. And clearly there are times that there are different priorities. I can tell you that some of the departments will come in where they're in crisis, but it's not really a crisis for the county. And so you really have to weigh it. You really have to look at what you're doing and what those priorities are. So um, I, I would say, you know, in, in looking at leaving and you know some of the things i would say to the to the county going forward and the staff if anybody thinks that any of these jobs whether you're a supervisor you're the ceo or you're a staff assistant working in a program you know on the coast none of these jobs are easy none of them and you know you just have to i i believe that for me anyway that you really have to stay focused and you have to decide what is it you're trying to do who do you need there? Who do you need at the table? How do you work together? What is going to appeal to that person to make them want to work in this project? And you just keep you just keep moving forward. What are the pitfalls? What makes it so challenging? What makes it challenging is there are times that no one is on first, you know, that you have multiple players. Well, let me give you an example, Alicia, and I'll use this example. Um, let's talk about, not that I, I want to talk about this, but I'm going to use it because I think it's a really good example. The example is the Measure B committee. And as, as you know, I've sat on the Measure B committee per statute since the time it, it started. And the Measure B committee is 11 people. And the challenge with the Measure B committee was and and continues to be in some ways, that the 11 people that were put on that committee were put on that committee for different reasons. Some were put there because they were mental health advocates, and so that's why they're there. And some were asked to serve on that committee because they were in public safety. And, the import, and no doubt about it, the importance of public safety. And we know that public safety help to steer the ship here to get us to Measure B. And then you have people who were put on that committee because they were fiscal conservatives and they knew how to manage money. So when you pull 11 people together and there are three different goals, how do those 11 people actually make decisions and, and stay focused? Is the focus that you want to do everything you can to serve the mental health community is the focus that you want to make sure that you protect the public and you protect the taxpayer where you don't spend a dime over what you have? Or do you do everything you can to support public safety, which may in some ways cost more money or possibly not have mental health first? And so I think that was a big challenge. I think everybody that sits on that committee, and I sat in my last committee meeting because I'm retiring now, so I won't be on that committee anymore. But I think that everyone that sat on that committee and will sit on that committee will have that challenge. And the goal for whoever chairs that committee, and the incoming chair is Dr. Janine Miller, the goal will be to bring those three goals together, right? so that you can actually be productive. And I think in the end we were. We got the Training Center for Public Safety. That's we true. got the Crisis Residential Center for Mental Health. 
and we're now working on the puff, which is what the taxpayers wanted. So, you know, a uh, long story there, but I think it really exemplifies the the uh, different uh, uh, challenges that you have when you work in government and you try to move forward with a project where you have so many different players. Yeah, it makes me think about all of the discourse about bipartisanship and wanting all the disparate points of view to come together right. and find it's not might not always be the best uh, solution if it's the lowest common denominator, you know, right, and you've got right. all of these people pulling in different directions. How can right. you move forward on what the Measure B mandate was from the voters? It's interesting. What would you tell Dr. Janine Miller about how to move forward on that? Like, what are some techniques of getting those that many different points of view together to do something? Well, the first thing I would say is that Dr. Janine Miller is a psychologist, so she could tell me how to do so this. Get, get all <laughs> smart about it. Yeah, but I think I think no matter what you do, you know, no matter what you do, you have to, you know, and I have to tell myself this every day, you can't take it, whatever it is, you can't take it personally. You know, it is just the way things are. And you have to stay focused on what the goal is. And you have to take the high road, you know, and that's part of not taking something personally. Alicia, you and I both know, I get attacked every day. There's not a day that goes by that there's something that's not written, not said, not not printed somewhere, you know, it just is. And I have to look at are the attacks at the CEO? Are the attacks at Carmelangelo? Are the attacks at both? And realize that, you know, everybody has something to say. Everybody comes from some particular place. I have to do my job. And that's why I'm here. And so, you know, I can't take it personally. Dr. Miller won't take it personally. You just move forward. Uh -huh. And we've made so much progress. Her coming in at this time, the biggest, the biggest job now will be getting the puff built. Um, but we've managed to get everything else done, I think. So I think she'll do fine. And she's a very, she is a very bright and competent uh, behavioral health director. And determined, it sounds like. Determined, yeah. She got that crisis residential treatment center done, you know, in spite of all of us. <laughs> yeah. How do you maintain focus? How do you know what moving forward looks like for you when you have all of this clamor happening all yeah, the time? Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's really not as hard as you think. The more difficult piece is realizing, you know, that you don't have any control. You know, I have no control over what you do. I have no control over the next question you're going to ask me. I have no control over what the next department head decides to do, you know. But you really try and uh, reason, you know, and if you can if you can when you're working on a project if you can get people to understand why we're doing that project, it makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. If you just go in and say, this is what we're doing, forget it. I don't think that works. So keeping an eye on, in terms of leadership style, communicating, keeping an eye on the purpose of the work, oh, yeah, what always. the project is about. Well, it's often difficult for me to distinguish when in the criticisms that happen. I mean, I, I must, I'm a member of the media, I believe that you know, our public officials and people in positions of power need to be accountable and criticized right. and all that. Right. I have no problem with that. Same with members of the media. Right. But when I read the criticisms, I often can't distinguish between real good faith criticisms and just sexism in reporting about you and other women in positions of power here in Mendocino. There's just so much of it in the reporting and in the discourse. And I wonder if you can talk about that, about, you know, 
how you think being a woman affects how your work and leadership is perceived or does it cause you to change anything about how you approach the job or how you keep yourself centered? Because it can be really slimy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I agree. And I agree with exactly what you're saying. I'll say that I never thought about it. I mean, I think that's, uh, it may sound naive or maybe not very bright, but honestly, I have never approached a job or project or whatever, thinking, you know, I'm a woman and coming from the place, well, I'm a woman. And so, you know, things might be different, or I may need to do things different. I, I never have, you know, it's always been, this is my job, this is what I'm doing. And in in the CEO position, there, there are 58 counties. And when I started in 2010 as CEO, there were 55 C C CAO CEOs, right, in the county, not every count in the state, not every county had a CEO. At that time, there were 12 female CEOs. Now we're probably at 15, 16. But when you think about it's a small group, if you look at 58 counties, not a very big group. And so that's when I began to realize that, you know, you don't, you know, out of, you know, six executive positions, there might be one woman. And so it, it is a little different. And there are times you do get treated differently. And in response to what you're saying, um, I am the first female CEO in Mendocino County. And I take that very seriously, because I think that whoever comes in after me, whether it's male or female, it shouldn't be, we're going to hire a male, you know, it should be you hire the best person. But I am, I'm the first female CEO in Mendocino County. I don't think that's a statement that's ever been in the press. Um, so there, you, you just, you know, you just deal with it. I think that, um, you know, I don't, I don't really want to get into the weeds on this one, be only because I think it doesn't help. You know, it's like you really, you really have to, as I said earlier, you, you don't take it personally, you take the high road, you stay focused. Um, I think that a lot of the attacks, when I read some of the stuff that's out there, it's amazing to me that people can say some of the things they say, everybody has, you know, have their has their right to uh, free speech. But some of the things that are said, I don't think would be said about a man, Alicia. You know, I mean, some of the, the some of the the adjectives that are used for me, I don't think would be used for a man. Um, and you know, and you just you deal with it, and you realize that you know, let's hope in Mendocino County. I really can't say this, but I would hope in Mendocino County that five to 10 years from now, it won't be like this. Yeah. I mean, I would hope that the women honestly would stand up more mm -hmm. and not allow some of some of what's said and done to happen. Right. Because what happens to one happens to all. Yeah, well, and it is it isn't reserved for just you it is it's no. it's women in, in leadership in this county and some of the assumptions that are made the assumptions of corruption the assumptions right. of control the assumptions of uh, somebody who's power hungry somebody who uh, is dangerous you know right. those are all tropes and yeah. so it's hard because we need to be able to make good faith criticisms of policy and of um you know of power but it's so hard to wade through it and figure out what's true, yeah. you know? And so, and, well, it's easy to see the tropes and think, what, you know, 
is there anything real here? Because this just looks like someone who's afraid of powerful women. Well, if you look at, you know, if you look at some of the things that are said, you read some of the paragraphs, um, you read some of the social media posts, you read some of the, the, the press, you know, you can see there's a common theme, there's a definite common theme. And in my opinion, some of it is very personal. And, you know, I can't, I can't get into it. I can't, I, I don't respond to it. Right, it's just, what can you say? Yeah, that's how it is. If people, if some people just want to be vicious, they're going to be vicious. It doesn't matter what I say or do. And I, you know, I would welcome, I have and I would, I would welcome um, a financial audit of all of Mendocino County, anybody, anybody, you know, providing that county council says it's legal, could come into my office and look at our financial. Mm -hmm. They can look at them online. We've put them online, you know. Um, and so I would say that when someone says no and someone absolutely is adamant, even in public, that you cannot look at my books, you cannot look at my finances. Why, why is that? Mm -hmm. That, I would say, geez, what, what's going on that, you know, the, the, these are taxpayer dollars. I would, I would welcome anyone to come in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as I say that, I may get five calls after this, right? Once this is, this is, um, is out there online. And I would say if county council approves there and the board approves, there's no issue. But the point is that, you know, there is a lot that's said and there's a lot that will be said that will continue. I wonder on March 20th, when I'm no longer CEO, will I still be that important that some people have to say all these terrible things? And if so, I feel sorry for them. You know, that that's really, really unfortunate. And I've said this all along when we've talked about, you know, this, there's this whole thing, this whole thing, this, this key issue about do we have a CEO or do we have a CAO? That is certainly not as important as do we have an auditor or a treasurer or do we have a combined position? And it has all been moved towards CEO or CAO. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that it doesn't really matter what the title is. What matters is what does the board want to see their highest appointed official do and that they hold that person accountable and that the public understands whether you have a CEO or a CAO, the board of supervisors still runs the county. That is just how it is. And I think that that's, again, you know, when you talk about misinformation with COVID, there's a lot of misinformation out there. And when you talk about what, you know, what can the county do better, the county certainly can get the information mm -hmm. out there and get the message out there better and and I say that you know sitting here for 12 years that's under me we could have done a better job mm -hmm. of getting the message out there my hope going forward is that we do a better job so that's one of the criticisms that I hear is about the relationship between the board and the CEO and where the power really lies so I wonder if you could weigh in on some I, I want to talk about a few of these sort of issues that that commonly sure. get talked about but that's that's one of them is that the yeah. CEO's office and you in particular are very powerful the board won't stand up to you and hold you accountable and and so therefore it's a problem because you can do whatever you want and yeah well you know that i i that's another thing i have to say i'm always amazed at how much power people give me because if i had that much power would i be sitting here I mean, I really, it's amazing to me, you know, on, on how much power people think I have. What would you do with all that power? I, you know, I, you know, I, I would fight 
climate change, right? I would, you know, I would make sure that that Putin doesn't invade the Ukraine, <laughs> right? I mean, I would do that kind of stuff if I had that much power. So it, it's always it's always very interesting to me. But but what I what I think what I think about that, I will tell you that um, there over the years, over the last decade, really, there there have been times when board members have been approached to do something about a, a project or a problem or to report out on something. And the response is, well, you know, I have to talk with the CEO. Well, it's not to talk to the CEO because the CEO is in charge. It's to talk to the CEO to see, hey, th there's this problem I've just been made aware of and what are we doing about it, you know? But sometimes that's been misconstrued as the CEO is in charge. So like getting permission. Yeah. So to say this again, whether you're a CEO or a CAO, you report to the Board of Supervisors. I report to the Board of Supervisors. They do not report to me. The Any Tuesday, I could get fired any Tuesday. From March of 2010 until now, any Tuesday I could get fired. Every year there's an evaluation on me. Um, so, you know, that's all there. But here's the one thing I did do, Alicia, which I am very proud of. And going forward, I hope that the this board and all incoming boards understand. I have always said that you cannot run an organization of, with a $350 million budget and 1,200 employees that serves 90,000 people in four-year increments, and you can't. And so what I've done in my decade here is I have built a strong administration, and I'm very proud of that because you need a strong administration to move an organization forward. And the stronger the organization, the stronger the CEO, the stronger the board of supervisors because we report to the Board of Supervisors. So, you know, criticism about power mongering and, you know, um, doing too much, being in charge, the board being afraid of me. I don't know one board member who's ever been afraid of me. And if there is one, I wish they would stand up and tell me. I, I don't, most of the board members have been men. Are you going to tell me there are men out there that are afraid of me? Um, I find that hard to believe. And the female supervisors that I've worked with, Supervisor Kendall Smith and Supervisor Carrie Brown, have been very assertive, very astute female supervisors. So, you know, it's unfortunate that that information gets out there. And so what what I am concerned about as as we talk about this particular item is that the board moving forward is will be making some key decisions. This is a board, this new board that started last January. They are a new board that wants to run the county. So I have taken a back seat, and they have made the decisions. And I think that's evidenced by what's happened over the last year. My concern is that this board will listen to a small group of voices that don't want to see a strong administration and that this board will, you know, uh, create an environment that's even more disconnected than we already are. So I really hope that they do understand the importance of having a strong administration. It's their strong administration. They know where to go. They know who to go to when they need something. So I hope I've answered your question there. Yeah, it's interesting because part of your 
long-term planning for the office is to strengthen it. So, exactly. it, you know, and, and to take that head on. Yes, I do want this or, this role to be a powerful role because that's what's best for the functioning of, of the county. Right. You are listening to a conversation with retiring Mendocino County CEO, Carmel Angelo, about her years working in county government. I'm Alicia Bales. One of the things that I've noticed about the supervisors is that they don't have any direct staff themselves. There's administra- the administrative officer, the executive office staff that's doing county uh, administration, but in terms of like services to constituents and things like that. It just seems like an impossible amount of work for each of them. Yeah, I I will. When I talk about the supervisors that I've worked with over the last decade, I've worked with really, you know, all of them have been really good and they've had their own good qualities. Remember over the last decade, we had a financial downturn. And during that financial downturn, we did reduce our numbers. The supervisors, in my experience here, have never had what you would call board aides. We have talked about board aides over the past decade, but we've never gone there to hire board Mm -hmm. aides for the supervisors. Um, A few years ago, what we did was we increased the salary of the supervisors, if you remember that. There there was one... um, increase that happened sometime back before 2010, where they went from like 48,000 to 68,000, which was a big jump, we know. There was an outcry. Right, right. And then um, under under my, uh, it, my term here, we increased it again, we brought it up to I think it was 85,000. And then they would get uh, incremental raises. And so there was a definite discussion at that time with the board members, that either you have board aides or you increase the salaries. The salaries were increased so that we could recruit more and better people to serve as supervisors. And so that was that was the importance of increasing the salary, that if you were, you know, a single parent and you were raising a child, can you raise a child on 48,000? Well, maybe you can, maybe you can't. But could you raise a child on 85,000 with health insurance and benefits? Yeah, most likely you can. So that was the intent of raising those salaries. But in exchange, we did not move toward, uh, toward establishing board aides for the board members. These board members, they do work 24-7, just like the staff. And so I think as this board moves forward with looking at the model and evaluating whether they want a CEO or a CAO, my guess is that they will look at board aides as well. I know of one supervisor, if not more, right now that sits on the board that absolutely wants staff. So I think they may move toward board aides. And even at one point, I thought, we would hire two board aides. We would have one for the supervisors on the coast and one for the supervisors inland. And we would start with two board aides and then see what the usage was, see what they were doing, and see what the need was to increase that. And for each supervisor to have one board aide could be ideal. Um, also, the clerk of the board staff, at one point there were five the consolidation of the clerk of the board into the executive office, just like at the time the consolidation of general services and the water agency, they were all done because of costs. They were cost reduction strategies that were done. We have three positions in the clerk of the board right now. And, and the clerk of the board, they do a lot of work for the supervisors. 
but so do, so do the uh, staff in the executive office. However, I do think that there will come a time when the supervisors will each have a board aide. It also occurs to me that that's how you build a bench, right? Mm-hmm. For people yeah. to come in. We don't, I don't really see the, the, the way in for people to learn the skill before they actually run for office because it mm-hmm. just seems like it's such a complex, mm-hmm. you know, relatively, it's a county government, but for, you know, a lay person or somebody who is just interested in making the county better, you know, there's this huge bureaucracy that you have to get familiar with right. before you even feel like I could serve. Right. You know, so having board aides could be where you, you kind of build your next generation of I, I of agree with you totally. And in some of the larger counties, their chief of staff is usually the person who runs when that supervisor decides that they want to retire. And so when you talk about building a bench, you have a stronger bench. That's that's absolutely true. So board aides, that is an area. Plus you have, you have um, students who might be in... Uh, uh, MPA programs yeah. or just in bachelor's programs. So there's there could be a lot of opportunity if that model is created. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of um, consolidation around cost considerations, um, the county is looking right now again at another consolidation of the auditor controller role with the treasurer tax collector. Um, can you explain what that is and then weigh in on on how you think the county should handle it? Like, what's the problem that this move is trying, what it's trying to, to solve? solve? Yeah. So uh, this is something that each board, not only this prior board today, but each board in the in the twelve years that I've served as CEO, they have wanted to do because there's always been the desire to consolidate more, to improve efficiencies, um, to cut costs, and uh, to create a better system. And with the treasurer and the auditor, the actual legal authority of this board of supervisors to consolidate those two positions happened years ago. They have had that authority to do this. They have not done it. I can tell you in the years that I've been here, there have been supervisors that have wanted to do this, but it was very clear that whoever the treasurer was at the time, whoever the auditor was at the time, that they did not agree with the move and they did not move forward. What happened here was just a perfect storm where the auditor was leaving and obviously the treasurer leaving. And so that would be the time to go ahead and consolidate those offices. And that and that was the desire of the board. I will tell you that we had uh, board members who were very, very strong in this would be the best model going forward, that we would be able to create efficiencies. We would bring these two offices together um, and that we would have greater accountability. And so that was the desire of the board. And, and that's what they did. That was their decision. I think where we went wrong is that we did not have the bandwidth to put information out to the public. That was the first thing. So the public understood what the board of supervisors was doing, what that desire was. And two, that um, there needed to be more uh, movement and more involvement and discussion with the existing treasurer and the existing auditor. And that didn't happen either. Because they both came out and made public statements themselves against the consolidation, right? Yes. And initially, just not to spend uh, too much time on this, but Lloyd Ware was the auditor and Lloyd had decided for his own personal reasons that he needed to retire uh, within his term. 
And he did contact me, and he wanted me to bring forward um, Shamise Cubison, his assistant auditor, uh, to the board to be appointed as interim auditor. I knew the desire of the board, and I knew that they weren't ready to just appoint anyone, whether it was Shamise, the man in the moon, it, it didn't matter who it was, they weren't ready to do this because they were looking at the possibility of changing the model. So I did tell Mr. Weir that I was not going to do this. I was not going to bring Ms. Cubison forward. I, I think Shamise has done a, a fine job within the auditor's office. I think that if she runs for auditor, you know, she, um, she may be the only person who runs. She may be the best candidate. So, you know, um, I have no uh, issues with Shamise and um, she worked in my office for a short period of time and she's, she's, she's very competent. So um, anyway, so I did not do it. Lloyd brought her forward and the board did exactly what I thought they would. They were not willing to appoint. And so uh, then they, they moved and it, it was the board that moved with county council to make sure that legally they were doing everything. So, so anyway, the point is that more information with the public and uh, possibly there should have been direction to have a committee to work with Sherry Schatmeyer and Lloyd Ware, Shamise Cubison, Julie Forrester to really work through this and get a better understanding from them who run those offices as to what the pros and cons are and, and what needed to happen. So I think the process was not the best process. But this decision by the board, I can't really say if it's the best decision or not. You know, it's their decision and if they think it's the best decision, they think it's the best decision. Uh-huh. And so the problem that it was trying to solve was efficiency and cost? I believe that the, the problem is efficiency, that bringing the offices together uh, would be economies of scale. They could create some efficiencies and that uh, we would then reduce our numbers down as far as department heads by one department head and bring those offices together. So um, I believe that that was the intent. And that's one less elected, right? When you're looking one at less this whole elected official, chart. you have you have one elected position, not two now, mm -hmm. right? Right. Okay. Well, it's it's going to happen. It's they voted on it. They did it. They did it. It's on the ballot. This position will be on the ballot. So whoever submits their paperwork by March 11th, I believe, is the date they will run for the position, the combined position of auditor-treasurer. Uh-huh. Yes. Do you see any potential, like, problem with that being just too much work? Like, we have a couple of offices in the county that, you know, like I'm thinking of the, the voter, the registrar, and, and she also does assess, yeah. assessor's office, and then something else. It's just like an enormous job for one office. So... You know, again, I the the process that we all embarked on could have been a better process. And the people that know the amount of work, what it takes, how to do it, and how to improve it, are the people that have left or are leaving. And so the people that are left could really have um, a job that is is insurmountable. I don't know. My office um, is not taking on any of that work. Um, if we're asked, it, it'll be after I leave and it will be whoever is there. 
Um, so I, I really can't answer that because I don't know everything that they do. Now, we do have, uh, uh, you know, obviously in statute, we have what the treasurer does. We have in statute what the auditor does. And so if you just look at what's in statute, it'll be interesting to see how that all falls under one person. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, have to be. They'll have to have good leadership muscles. <laughs> have to be smart in the way they structure it. Yeah. And it's new, right? So the new the the person who's elected will be creating the 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 office, right? Because uh, again, uh, we we made attempts to after the board took the action to pull everyone together and begin to develop a, a model for the consolidated office in that position, but there was no time. Um, those two offices were pretty packed and they did not have time to uh, have any further um, committee meetings with us. Wow. And then at that point, we did learn from, at least I did learn from county council that um, whoever comes in, they will be responsible for the consolidated activities and the consolidated office. So Whoever gets elected, yes, it will be their job to develop their model of a consolidated treasurer, auditor, office, and position. Yeah. All right. Well, it's a big one. Stay tuned. One. Yeah. It's the salary was increased, by the way. Doubled? Uh, no, unfortunately, <laughs> no. Unfortunately for the person that comes in, it won't be doubled, but it was increased. If you go back to the board item, you could see what it is. And I honestly don't have it in front of me. So. All right. So let's let's start to talk about you and your retirement and next moves you your last day is march 20th no my first day of retirement is march 20th my last day as a county employee is march 19th march 18th is a friday so it's actually friday ah march 18th so why did you decide to retire now and are you is this part of the great resignation of the covid pandemic or you know, Alicia, I, I do think and I I, uh, I do think that my action is part of the great resignation. And I'll tell you um, very briefly, I know I've been a little long winded today, but there's so much to say in so little time. Yes. Yeah, so but um, COVID has impacted my family uh, to a point where um, it's it's been frightening. And last year, we we survived. And as you know, my family is in Southern California, and I'm up here. It was extremely challenging having people I love uh, tremendously ill in San Diego with me up here. And everybody survived, thank God. And this year, it started again. And our first board meeting, and I appreciate you allowing me to even talk about this, but our first board meeting of the year was January 4th. I was in that board meeting trying to do my job, and I was hearing from my family about COVID illness in my family. And by 6.30 that night on January 4th, I told my assistant CEO, I, I can't do this. I can't continue to do my job and have my family uh, in Southern California needing me uh-huh. and me up here. It's competing priorities. I can't do it. So that's when I decided that I needed to retire. Now, yes, my contract is up in October. And I said to the board, and they had asked me to stay until October, that was the plan. But that January 4th changed it for me. And so I'm leaving. 
uh, I will be uh, returning to my family. Um, San Diego uh, obviously was my home for many years. Mendocino County has been my home for the last 15. I own a home up here. I love San Diego, or <laughs> both San Diego and Mendocino County. Um, I live in Ukiah, and it's been a, an honor and a privilege to serve this community. But, you know, there comes a time when everybody has to make those changes, and I'm making mine, and I'll be returning um, to Southern California with my family. And what about your plans for the future? Are you excited about retirement? Do you have stuff you've always wanted to do? I, I do have I do have things I'd like to do. I, I have to say I'm excited and um, a little anxious about the future. I don't know what the future holds, but I will say, you know, uh, the universe has never let me down. I don't anticipate that the universe will let me down now. I'm looking forward to writing a tell-all. I'm going to write a tell-all <laughs> on the last 15 years in Mendocino you County. Are- you we will look okay. for it. I'll let I you will know. interview you about your tell-all. I cannot wait for that. I love that. Um, what about the future of the CEO's office? Do you have a, a, a plan, a succession plan? We we have worked over the last couple years, I would say, you know, and, and, and let me say this, that as much as I've talked about things we've done and haven't done, you know, we're a team, we've been a team. And over the last 12 years, I appreciated working as a team with the Board of Supervisors. As I've said, I've worked with some good board members. I would say Supervisor Pinches is one of the most notable for me. And I would also say that I really enjoyed working in the partnership with Supervisor Carrie Brown and Supervisor John McCowan. So I've enjoyed that. Um, so um, I'm thinking that uh, my assistant CEO, uh, will be uh, officially appointed by this board for a interim appointment. And that's Darcy Antle. That's Darcy Antle. And I don't think there is anybody better. Uh, you know, since 2017, we've had a lot of disasters. We've had a lot of disaster recovery money come into this county. Darcy has her finger on the pulse of all of it. And we are still working on those disasters from 2017. So I really hope that for the long term uh, and for the the health of this county, that Darcy actually stays in position. Mm-hmm. I for have continuity. Yeah, there are uh, multiple uh, people in the executive office that know what they're doing that are very strong that could lead this county. Janelle Rawl as the general services director. There are many. So I think that I'm. I do believe I'm leaving the county. Uh, in a good position as far as the strength of the executive office. Uh, My hope is that the board going forward understands the strength of that executive office and the stronger it is, the stronger they are, and that they only help to build it up more for their benefit Mm -hmm. and for the benefit of the community. They don't see it as a competition, but as an asset. Well, I think that, you know, there's a small group in the community, the same group that, you know, think that the CEO has too much power that would like to see the Board of Supervisors eliminated altogether. And again, it's their decision what they do. But I hope that they that as COVID lifts and there's more time to work together, that the more they work with the staff in the executive office, they see the importance of what everybody does and how together, collectively, we built a very strong team to lead this county forward with them. Mm-hmm. What about, just looking back quickly, summary, um, successes and regrets from your time at, at the county? I think that uh, one is, you know, we 
well, I, let me just be real quick. You know, the disasters since 2017 going forward, I really think that Mendocino County had a great response and recovery. And I think that was the good work of all the public servants within the county system. And we have been recognized for that. I also think, as I've already said a couple times now, the strong administration and building that strong administration. I've said, you know, we are a full-service executive office. I am a full-service CEO. And so I think we've done a really good job in, in serving the board that serves the public. I think a, a huge success is the leadership initiative. And I say that because when we had our uh, global economic downturn, and that is certainly is what it was, we were facing a very rough time and we were facing bankruptcy, whether anybody outside the system wants to believe that or not. We got through that. We got through that as a team. That was the direction of a very strong board of supervisors at that time and a CEO who took direction well. And we were able to get through that. But when we came out on the other end, we might have saved the ship, but we lost a lot of the people on the ship. And so that's when we developed the leadership initiative, which basically is leadership at all levels. You all have a voice. We want to hear from you. So I'm very proud of the leadership initiative. It is. It continues to run, and it runs out of human resources. I think being resilient, I think we do have a resilient county. You know, the, the culture here um, is, uh, is, is one that uh, people may not be real friendly and real supportive on a day-to-day -day basis, but when there's a crisis, everybody pulls together. So there's a degree of resiliency for a small county that I would say we have and we continue to have. And the fact that we're not an island, anything can happen here, and that we're prepared. You know, I think the consolidations that we did, um, I think some of them, there's some good things that came out of them and some things that we've learned that maybe for today's Mendocino County, that things need to change. But I think that's all been a learning experience. I will say that one of the things that I'm really proud of is when I started, we had reserves in this county system of $1.9 million every year. We're at approximately $20 million right now, which is general reserves and reserves from the departments. That took a lot of work. That was the direction and the work of the Board of Supervisors, uh, the last board, uh, and my team. And so it was good work. So it's always a team effort. Any regrets? My only regret is that I am leaving uh, sooner than October. I would have liked to have stayed till October. But again, uh, sometimes things happen, and that's, that's just how it is. Um, I think that uh, other regrets, um, I think we could have worked closer with the cities. We have great relationships with our counties, our county partners. But I think that it would have been it would have been really good if we could have developed closer working relationships with the cities. And I think going forward, we have um, two board members who are uh, ex um, city council members. So I think that will that will make a difference. Um, so no, I don't have many regrets. Um, I'm really honored that I was able to serve here as long as I was. And, um, and I, I appreciate everything. You know, I learned something every day. You know, we made mistakes every day, and we dealt with them every day. And that will continue no matter who's sitting in my seat. Sounds like mean any meaningful work. <laughs> You're putting it all into it and, and pulling as hard as you can. And uh, sometimes it works. And sometimes you've got to just keep pulling. Yeah. 
Last question, and this is for listeners, residents of Mendocino County, uh, who are, you know, the people that at the beginning of the interview you talked about serving the county. Right. What What would you tell them about the best way to play a role in Mendocino's future? I I think that that the community needs to stay engaged. And, you know, I read a lot on social media where people say that they they don't they don't listen to the board members, they don't watch the meetings because it doesn't matter what they say or think. That is absolutely not true. That these board members and any board member that I've ever worked with, they really care about their constituents and what their constituents think. So I would I would say to anybody out there to please stay engaged. And also, we get a lot of criticism because the the um, board chamber is closed. We will be reopening that board chamber. We have been doing a lot of renovations within that board chamber. And uh, the renovations should be complete within the next month. But once the chamber's open, then what does that mean? Does that mean only people that come in are the ones who are going to be engaged, civic engagement? No. We need people to continue. We need to have the hybrid model so people are able to, you know, stay in their living room or stay up in the third district or on the coast or wherever and be able to watch the meeting and participate. Mm -hmm. Stay engaged. Watch what's happening. Um, only believe half of half of what you hear and see. And you know, I'm I'm a great conspiracy theorist. I don't know if I've said that, but you know, I always look when there's a question. Okay, well, why are they asking that? What's behind it? You know, so people really need to stay engaged. the The disillusionment with government it's absolutely out there. But know that everybody that's in public service, not everybody's a bad person. Not everyone is out there just to you know be on the county dole. That's not how it works. There are true public servants. Mm-hmm that exist in Mendocino County that are there because they they want to serve. And I bet in a place like Mendocino, as opposed to where you came from in San Diego, you can have as an individual an outsized influence here. You can really make a difference absolutely. in a county like Mendocino. Absolutely, because it, it is a small community. And so you can meet with your supervisor. If I was in San Diego and I wanted to meet with my supervisor, it would take a very long time. And you know what? I would meet with that board aide that our supervisors don't have. So I would meet with one board aide. If I had a problem and that board aide couldn't help me, I would be then meeting with the chief of staff. It would take three to four meetings if I ever got to that supervisor. Now, that's not a criticism of that system. That is a large system. But here in Mendocino County, if I wanted to meet with my supervisor as a constituent, I would call the Mo you know. And before you know it, she would either call me back, text me, or set up a time, ask me to come Thursdays for coffee. I mean, these board members are absolutely accessible. This is a small community, and everyone's accessible. All right, well, Carmel Angelo, thank you for taking the time today, and thank you for all of your work. Thank you, Alicia. And good luck in your retirement. (laughs) Thank you very much. This has been an interview with retiring Mendocino County CEO Carmel Angelo, who's leaving her position as the head of the county's executive office on March 18th after 12 years. I'm Alicia Bales. Thanks for listening to this special public affairs program. Stay tuned now for Democracy Now!
If you enjoyed this podcast, you can go to kzyx.org to find more shows and content like this one. While there, you can stream us live or check out our jukebox. And if you like what you hear, consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. We are Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, listener-supported community radio. KZYX, Philo, 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Woolitz and Ukiah, 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Thanks for listening.